Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to thank God for just the opportunity to be here tonight. Uh, uh, I can assure you that this won't be 45 minutes. Uh, it's an honor to be here, and I have been in the shoes of having to ask others at our study in October that we have when people can't show up for one reason or another. And uh, I know how that feels to be in that situation. And so uh, I felt that I could return the favor tonight. Artie has helped and others at our study. So we're going to do the best that we can tonight. But all questions are going to be directed to Richard Reed. Uh, I have his email. I have his phone. You, you, can, you, can, you can get Richard. Uh, have a little conversation for him when I get a chance to talk with him. Uh, but in keeping with uh, the theme of the study uh, and focusing on various aspects of the Christian life, uh, the theme is valuing personal evangelism. And um, we were given several questions also to go through. Uh, and what I'm going to do uh, is I'm going to kind of incorporate those questions in uh, kind of a narrative exegesis format. I won't call the questions out, uh, as some brethren did. There may be a question or two I might uh, get to, to call out, but I'm just going to, this is basically going to be the exegesis of these passages and try to give you uh, my thoughts on them. Um, and um, uh, I just hope that, that it's encouraging to you. You know, the Bible is, uh, it's an organic book, I call it, and it's, uh, it's alive. And when you begin to read or when you begin to teach the Bible, there's a connection there with God, I believe, because the word of God is, is quick. It, it's alive, uh, Hebrews 4.12. And, and so I feel that if, uh, as long as we stay with the scripture, I feel that uh, you, you have to be edified and inspired. Uh, so that's kind of my, my intro. Now, uh, to study this topic, uh, we'll be using uh, these three verses here, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 to 26, and they're taken from Paul's second letter uh, to the young evangelist, Tim Timothy. Um, he outlines several themes within this particular epistle in his second letter, um, themes of uh, false teachers. You, there's a theme of false teachers in there, and there's also some ad admonitions for uh, instruction. And so what I want to do is I want to uh, kind of go back. And I'm going to start with the first epistle to give you kind of an overview. I want to go through and look at a little bit of background in the situation that we have here. And then I'm going to analyze the passages and then give you some summary statements. Now, uh, this is the second of two letters, uh, as they're called, that were written to Timothy, Paul's own son in the faith. 1 Timothy 1, verse 2. It was written around 63 A.D. Uh, when he was, um, there's some discussion as to where he was when he wrote this particular epistle. Uh, the scholars seem to think that Macedonia would be a good choice because in first, he mentioned Macedonia in 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. Uh, also, Timothy being a, a very young evangelist, uh, they don't really know how old he was. Uh, scholars say that he could probably 
was probably either in his late 20s or possibly in his early 30s. But uh, Timothy was left in charge of the church at Ephesus. Now, if you've, uh, we've had a couple of brothers mention a couple of things about Ephesus at this meeting. And we know that, uh, that it's where he was left, according to 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. And he was told to remain at Ephesus. Now, uh, Paul evidently had a lot of uh, confidence in Timothy because uh, he left him in charge of the work at Ephesus. Now, uh, Ephesus was, a, was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. It was, uh, it was what you might call a very cosmopolitan city at the time. Uh, it was a very ungodly city. There were gods, they say, on every corner. You could find a god. I think somebody mentioned this in the study. You could find a god quicker than you could find a man, they said. And, but Ephesus uh, and, its, and its inhabitants were mentioned more than 20 times in the New Testament. So it was a very important uh, city. But here you have Paul leaving uh, Timothy there, uh, a young man, uh, to be in charge of the congregation there and put him there as the overseer of that particular work. Now, one of the main purposes of the first letter to Timothy was to inform Timothy to be aware of false teachers, as I mentioned, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. He wrote, as I besought thee there to abide at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that you might charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So right off the bat, in the first letter, he mentions false doctrine. So I think that's one of the main themes of this particular epistle, even though we won't talk much about it tonight, but it was one of the main themes. He was hoping to visit him soon, but said, if he was delayed, he wanted him to know how to behave himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar ground of the truth, on the passage that we're very familiar with. In addition to those issues, the epistle primarily contains instructions concerning order, organizational structure of the church, qualification of elders, deacons, and some general uh, mentions about encouragement. So the first epistle uh, dealt with those issues there. But the purpose of the second letter that we're going to look at tonight was written about four to five years later. So uh, it, it is quite a bit later than the first uh, letter, but it has a more somber tone, you might say, because this is, the, they say, the, pro, the last letter that the uh, apostle probably wrote, because he makes mentions about some incidents and things that were about to come upon him. So it looks like he was at the end of his life. He was in prison at the time, and he was writing this in Rome in very dire uh, circumstances. It's quite clear that he did not think he would be released from prison and would probably die there based on what he said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. This is a very off-quoted passage that we're very familiar with. We could probably quote it. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. 
Although it has a more serious tone, he encouraged the young evangelist to be strong in the hardships he would face and to be aware that in the last days, godlessness would be everywhere in every form. But despite all of this, he left him with a strong admonition to be diligent in showing him a true workman for God and rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. We want to start looking at some of the, some of the attributes that, that Timothy was told or to have or to, uh, uh, to be a part of his character as he was left at this congregation. So what I want to do is that I want to talk a little bit about a few of those, these attributes that, that he left. Obviously, Timothy was not the typical age, but he was left there in charge of that particular congregation. I'm going to start with verse 24, and I want to look at three of these attributes that, that the apostle said to Timothy to have. He said that he was to be gentle, apt to teach, patient. Let me just read the passage. 2 Timothy 4, uh, 2 verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil also being captured by him to do his will. These particular three qualities mentioned in verse 24, the first one is gentleness. The word there doesn't mean just, a, just being gentle or calm. It actually has the uh, kind of slant toward a childlike gentleness and innocence. So Paul is saying that... Uh, Timothy, I want you to have a, a childlike gentleness. When you're dealing with people, I want you to reflect this as part of your character. Not just kindness or gentleness, but, but a childlike kindness or gentleness that has with it this association of, of uh, innocence. The next quality he mentioned in that passage was being apt to teach or uh, literally, that means being able or capable of teaching. Uh, he doesn't really say that an individual, uh, have, he has to teach, but being, being able to teach or capable of teaching. And certainly we know that Timothy was because he was left there at Ephesus. But this particular quality he mentioned as being able or capable of teaching. And then the last thing he mentions in that verse is is patience. Now, this is not just patience uh, uh, that, that's long-suffering. It's, it's a patience that actually means that you're able to endure evil. You're able to, when you're being accosted by evil, you have a certain degree of patience that will allow you to endure the evil that you are experiencing. So this is, this is a special kind of patience that Timothy would be uh, subjected to actually exercise because these false teachers that were coming about asking these crazy questions and questions that do gender strife, he would have to have patience with these individuals 
so he would be able to, to teach them because the whole goal of him acquiring that particular uh, uh, attribute, I believe, so that he would be able to uh, deal with the gainsayer and those individuals who would come at him with those questions that didn't really make any sense. Now, Ephesus likely would have been a challenge for even a very experienced evangelist. Now think about it. Okay, here's a young man who uh, no doubt Paul had a lot of confidence in, and he left him at this congregation, but given the, uh, the status of the city of Ephesus and the condition that it was in, uh, it shows that Paul had a great deal of confidence in this young man. Now, though it's not known uh, specifically, um, we do know that there might have been some racial issues involved with Timothy. Because we know he was, his mother was a Jewish, but his father was a Greek. So it would, I think it's reasonable to assume that even though uh, Timothy was a biracial uh, individual, uh, it's reasonable to assume that he could have had some racial issues. But yet, uh, Paul didn't think those issues that he might would have had was enough to not put him in charge of that congregation. I find that very interesting uh, because it, it just shows that Paul had a great deal of confidence in this individual. In 2 Timothy 1, uh, verse 5, the Bible says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned, genuine faith that is in thee, which dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. It appears that Paul was very, very familiar with Timothy. He knew his family. He knew his mom. He knew his grandmother. And so uh, it just shows that he had a lot of confidence in this young man. Now, uh, moving on to verse uh, 25, uh, there's a very interesting word in verse 25. Uh, and in this particular let me see, this translation, this is not the translation I used, but in verse 25, it says, concerning his opponents, with, uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, that particular word there that's translated uh, in the King James is those who oppose themselves is a very interesting word because uh, it literally means that a person is set uh, against himself. It's almost like uh, there's a war within the person. That word anti-diatithomai means, uh, you can see the, uh, the anti there kind of gives you a clue what it means, but it, it literally means a person is opposed to themselves. Now, uh, being opposed to themselves, uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, the context for this statement uh, is referring to those in verse 25 who approach with foolish and unlearned questions, including false teachers. Paul is saying that even when brethren fall into false teaching, they must be treated with gentleness and patience of the kind that our Lord had in Matthew 11, verse 29. Now, in verse 24, as we said, this is a special kind of patience because this patience allowed uh, Timothy to deal with false teachers. You know, many times when we study with people, sometimes, you know, they get hostile, especially if it's a uh, a person that is prone to that kind of behavior. Uh, and you have to really exercise patience with these people. But Paul is saying these people really, they're not really opposing you. It might appear that they are, but they're really opposing themselves. They have something going on within themselves. They are fighting themselves 
And so you, in dealing with these people, you have to exercise patience. Patience that will allow you to endure evil. Now, now, what are these people opposed to? Why are they opposed? Well, a clue is that they have to be corrected so clearly it is sound doctrine. Uh, the Bible says that you have to correct these people. So apparently these false teachers uh, are teaching false doctrine and they, they need to be corrected. They are opposing themselves and uh, Timothy has to correct them. Now, uh, they are opposed to the truth. In the King James Version, uh, there's that, this one word there uh, really means that uh, it implies that, that sound doctrine. They are opposed to sound doctrine or the truth. Now, so Paul then is informing us that those who disagree with the doctrine of Christ actually oppose themselves. They are literally enemies of themselves because in the end, truth will always prevail. Yes, Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you need to be aware of these people. And this is the kind of attitude they're going to have, giving him insight into the character of these individuals. Now, uh, verse 25, there are a couple of things. Uh, one other thing I want to highlight in this passage uh, here. In humility, that's the, uh, you know, the gentleness, correcting those who are in our position. Just a couple of different translations that show uh, a little bit different slant to the verse. It says, who are in opposition if God perhaps would grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Now, that phrase, God granting, God granting them repentance. Uh, now, that, that's not God literally just say, okay, I'm going to give this person, I'm going to make him repent. We've talked about that today. Uh, he's not talking about just, just handing over repentance. I think he's talking about the long suffering of God there, that, that uh, Timothy exercising patience with these people. You know, the long suffering of God wants everyone to, to, to repent. So God is long suffering so that all will repent and come to Come to him. So, so I think he's not talking about giving repentance, but that God would grant them repentance in his long suffering and patience in dealing with these people. Now, so that they may know the truth. In correcting them, uh, these individuals, then they would know the truth. Timothy would impart the truth to these individuals and they would be known in that way. Now, in verse, uh, 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 there's another interesting word that, that uh, came up in these passages, and that's. Uh, the, uh, the snare of the devil. In, in verse 26, it talks about and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Uh, the word there that's translated snare is pages, and it means a sudden, uh, unexpected trap. I had a picture that I was going to uh, put up here to kind of show you what, what that actually is. Uh, what it is is like a you know, like in the jungle, you've seen these pictures where a lion may be walking along in a path and the trapper has put down a net and the lion doesn't see the net. He walks across the net and then all of a sudden the net, a noose comes in, traps him and captures him. That's the idea of that word. The picture of that word is a sudden trap that uh, an animal or a person here walks on and then is quickly, quickly accosted by uh, that particular uh, trap. That's what that word means. Now, it's only used, these three passages use that uh, word, uh, both of them, 2 Timothy 2.26 and 
1 Timothy 1, 3, 7 uh, talks about the snare of the devil. So that's, that's actually the picture that's painted when it talks about the snare of the devil. Now, in 1 Timothy 6, 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. That's the same word and fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts. In other words, uh, that particular picture really relates to that passage also in that these foolish and hurtful lusts will come upon an individual rapidly, instantly, unexpectedly. So that's the idea uh, behind that particular particular word. Uh, now, uh, the phrase uh, is very, very common uh, in this particular context. And it seems that Paul is trying to instruct Timothy to say, look, you know, these particular individuals, they are caught. They are caught in the snare of the devil and they're going to react in opposition to the truth, the gospel. And so you need to be aware of that. Now, uh, well, I'm missing a, oh, here we are. This is my conclusion here. They already wanted me to look at these attributes and see if these attributes um, were anywhere related to the Christian. Even though they're attributes that he's talking to an evangelist about and he's sharing. So what I did was I just took a few of them. I didn't, uh, there were several, there were probably 10 or 12. I just picked a couple of them. And we're going to see, uh, for example, the patience. Uh, patience is the, a quality that we should all possess. Uh, the Bible says in patience we possess our souls. In Luke 21, verse 19. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. But thou, man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and patience. So patience is a quality that uh, Paul told Timothy that he needed. Uh, also, uh, being apt to teach, teaching ability. Uh, that's something that, that he mentioned. Uh, being able to teach. Uh, yes, uh, we know that uh, we should be teachers of good things. Titus 2, verse 3 and 4. Uh, the women also ought to be teachers. So not just an evangelist is said to be apt to teach. Women are also said to be able to teach in Titus 3, 2, verse 3 and 4. It says that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. So teaching applies uh, also to, uh, to uh, Christians also. Um, what about being gentle? Um, a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, one of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Uh, God's spirit will allow our spirit to be cultivated and strengthened in the fruit of gentleness. So that's something that's given not just to evangelists, but it's given to, to all people. And then uh, correction of error. Uh, we, are, we are to be uh, a correct individuals. Galatians 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So we are to correct error, not just evangelists. Uh, it's a quality that we all should, should be equipped to do. In James 1, verse 19, uh, the, the next one is not be quarrelsome. Um, Paul told Timothy not to be quarrelsome, be patient with these people, being able to endure their own slot, not to be quarrelsome. Uh, we're commanded not to be quarrelsome. Uh, in James 1, verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. So what I'm saying is these are just illustrative of, of qualities that the evangelist has. But, but 
the Christian should have all those qualities. You know, certainly it's for a special work that the evangelist has these qualities, but to value these qualities as a Christian, uh, we should value these qualities as a Christian as, as equally so as the evangelist. So even though, and there's several other qualities that I could have mentioned, but I just wanted to just give you an example that these qualities that, that Paul told Timothy to have, Christians should have them also. I'm done. <laughs>